Sports Talk New York with your hosts, Mark Rosenman and A.J. Carter. Sports Talk New York is sponsored in part by Prince Associates for all your insurance needs, the Phoenix Tube Company, the law firm of Declator Cohen and DePrisco, Solomon Jewelers, and General Needs Charity, serving our homeless veterans with dignity. And now, here are your hosts, Mark and AJ. Joining us now is a man who is an award-winning sports columnist for the New York Post. He's covered baseball since 1999. He is the author of numerous baseball-related books, including Amazing, and the co-author of I'm Just Getting Started and Girardi, No Ordinary Joe. His articles in the Post are always a must-read. He is one of my favorite guests here on Sports Talk, so it is a pleasure to welcome Kevin Kernan back to Sports Talk New York. Welcome, Kev. Hey, Mark. How you going, buddy? Doing pretty good other than, you know, watching that Jet game, but that's besides the point. So, you know, yeah, obviously... I think, uh, I think Fireman Ed is about to leave the ship again. <laughs> I don't blame him. Uh, so, obviously, with you having literally written the book on Joe Girardi, I knew we'd be having you on once Joe was named manager somewhere. I really thought it might have been as manager of the Mets, but before we talk about Carlos and the Mets, let's talk Joe Girardi. So, Joe had three interviews with the Mets, and obviously the Mets had some reservations and they were not ready to pull the trigger on Joe. What do you think those reservations on the side of the Mets could have been? Well, I think they wanted someone who was maybe a little bit more flexible. Uh, Joe's a good manager. Uh, and, I, and I, you know, I saw Joe doing the playoffs. Uh, we, we talked a bunch of times. Um, I think he landed in the perfect spot for him. I think Philly's way better than New York would have been. Joe's still a very intense person. And I think uh, it might have been a little too too tight in New York for him in this situation. I just I just think Philly's ready for his type of leadership. I think he'll do a good job with those guys. So he'll get the most out of them. And um, I I personally don't think it would have been a great fit with the Mets. So I can understand why the Mets went in their direction. And in the long run, I think it's exactly what Joe Shipp said. You know. Um, you know, he's a, he's a religious guy, and he said God had a plan for him. And I think he, he's very happy where he is in Clearwater, that side, even little things. You know, uh, real close to where the Yankees were, so spring training was pretty much the same for him. And, and he'll be able to put his stamp on that team. They need his kind of leadership. I don't think he would have gotten the same free reign here. And I think there's also a situation, um, you know, he would have been coming in cold to some of these players. I think, uh, I think with Beltron. Um, Beltron will have things under control from the beginning because of your statue as a player, especially with the Latino players. It's interesting because, uh, listen, out of all the guys they were interviewing, I kind of leaned towards Joe for, for his in-game management. But in my back of my head, what you just said about the intensity, you know, part of the, the charm and maybe the success the Mets had were some of the goofiness between Alonzo, McNeil, J.D. Davis, and just the fun they were having during that run. I don't know if that same thing takes place under Joe Girardi, but in the same respects, I think the in-game management would have been something that would have been tremendous. And listen, for me, you sit back and you take a look at the Mets' bullpen. If they had performed 25% better than that dumpster fire, you know, there could have been a case of Mickey Calloway for manager of the year. Uh, things went bad in the bullpen. They lost a lot of games there. But if you play devil's advocate with Joe, I mean, since the World Series 10 years ago, you know, he had only won four rounds of the playoffs. He missed the playoffs three times with one of the highest payrolls in baseball. 
So a case could be made that maybe because here in New York we, we overblow things, maybe we overrated Joe as a manager. Do you think a, a case could be made for that at all? Yeah, I think to some extent. I think, I think Joe, um, I'm trying to think the best way to say it. You're not, again, I've been around baseball. <laughs> I started in the business in 77. I was doing a lot of basketball, but I still did a lot of baseball way back then. So I went through the you know, 70s, the 80s, the 90s. Joe fit better with that style of player. I think Joe got frustrated a little bit with how the Yankees, uh, the uh, analytics guys for the Yankees were trying to run the show A to Z. And Joe will certainly, certainly work with you. One of the things I remember when I did the book with Joe, and and we talked about how you know what a great job he did with. Yes, I thought he was a tremendous broadcaster. I think, and we also what he did during the playoffs. I thought he was tremendous. Yeah. Joe said to me, and I asked him about that, and he said, "You know what? I'm a good soldier." And he is a good soldier. He would have worked well with the Mets. I think he would have done what they well, well, would have wanted him to do. But I also think there's a, there's a sneaky part of the Wilpons where they, they don't want to go to the Yankee well to help them out in that respect. And now, I know Beltran was working for the Yankees. I get it. But Joe, Joe still looks, you know, Joe looks like he, he still looks like the Yankee manager. You know what I mean? <laughs> and, uh, and, and I don't think the Wilpons wanted that. And, and, and Brody, you know, I have no problems with a new GM picking his own guy, and I agree with you on Mickey. Mickey's problem was he didn't stand up enough for Mickey. If Mickey had fought back a little bit, stood up a little bit more for his guys like Island, uh, maybe stood up a little bit more when when Brody is calling in Arizona saying get the DeGrom out of there uh, with a cramp. Uh, maybe stood up when uh, Jeff was saying uh, uh, Diaz is only going to be a winning pitcher um, early in the year when that happened. Uh, there, I can give you seven or eight instances that Mickey had stood his ground and fought back. I think Mickey would still be there as a manager, and the, Met, and the Mets would all be better off for it, too. But Mickey caved in a way, and I understand why. You know, yeah. uh, you know you're trying to keep your job. Uh, they became too much of a puppet. I think... In the back of everyone's mind, and even in the back of Joe's mind, there might have been certain instances uh, where he might have fought back. And I think that they, they probably don't want that. And the irony is that, uh, you know, if you surround yourself with too many yes-men, you're bound to fail. So I personally like having a, a manager situation where the manager does fight back a little bit. And I hope Beltron does that. Uh, but but with Joe and with, with Philly... That's a team, you know, they obviously have some pitching issues, they have some bullpen issues. Uh, the GM thinks he knows a lot. He doesn't know that much. And, um, and But, I, you know, everybody loves Gabe. Now, but now to re- reinvent the Gabe Kapler, I don't care what you say. He did a terrible job, in my mind, managing that group. And uh, the irony is that they actually got somebody in better shape than uh, Gabe Kapler now to manage the, uh, <laughs> to manage the Philly Chris Joe, you know. I was kidding with A.J., uh, you know, um, uh, doing the playoffs, uh, Joe's, Joe's partner, AJ, and uh, Pazinski, and um, we, we, you know, sometimes the Trinity could run back into, like, especially in uh, Houston, uh, you know, back into the food room and grab a snack or a coffee or whatever, and he was telling me that every time he brings, every time he brings chips, uh, you know, chips and salsa back into the TV booth, Joe would get all over him. Cause <laughs> Joe doesn't, uh, Joe does not waver in his, his, uh, his system, whether it's eating or managing. You know, it's also interesting, you know, baseball is just so funny, and you can't really find, 
there were no more trends, it appears, because the Phillies just two years after hiring a first-time manager in Gabe Kapler, one year after hiring a first-time pitching coach in Chris Young, they go completely opposite and, and hire a manager with you know tremendous experience and a resume and a pitching coach also loaded with, with big league experience in, in Brian Price's pitching coach. The Mets also fired a manager after two years. Do you think now that the, the window of opportunity for managers is much shorter than it was, let's say, five to six years ago? Yeah, it's way shorter. It's become a GM ball game across the board. And, you know, Brian Price, Joe was going to manage that uh, USA team. Uh, I'm not sure the age bracket was. I think it was 18 under. I'm not sure exactly what age it was. But Joe was going to manage that team this summer. You know, they're going to, I think they were going to play in South America or somewhere. I'm not sure exactly where. But Brian Price was his pitching coach on that team. Right. So here we are. We fast forward a few months, and it's, it's amazing how things work out. But, yeah, the, the GMs run the show. Look at A.J. Hinch. We just got through the World Series. Uh, you can look at the last few World Series. The teams that come in with the pre-packaged, pre-packaged uh, plan – they lose. They don't read what's going on in front of them. And for all of A.J. Hinch's success, and by the way, you know, he's very close to Brody. That's the guy Brody really wanted. Right. And Brody's very close to Brian Price, too. So I'm sure he probably uh, wouldn't mind having Brian Price as his pitching coach as well. Um, but if you plan it out that way, you're going to mess it up because you need, to, you need to make some decisions of what you're seeing right in front of you, like um, – you know, when you see that game seven and all of a sudden uh, the relievers come in doing a great job for the Nationals, you gotta you got to stick with them. The, 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 you know, the, the way the Nationals, they couldn't wait to get Grinky out. You know, they, they weren't right. reading what was going on. Dave Roberts was the same way. It's because all these managers, are, or they're not managing, they're CYA. They're covering their, their butts, basically, because they know they had their meeting and the analytics guys were here and, and the analytics guys are saying, do this, and they want to – it's a managed by numbers, uh, paid by numbers type thing. And I think Joe will fight back on that a little bit. And I think uh, Andy McPhail will go for that. And I think that will be good for those guys. And I also think Hiltron will be that way a little bit. He'll go with his gut more. Um, he's a tremendous uh, – he's a tremendous uh, bench guy. I, I'm sure you saw the column I did with, you know, with most columnists and people are just giving you their opinions like uh, – this guy is going to be good for this reason or whatever. I actually tracked down Alex Corey oh, the other yeah. day. Yep, great Red article. Sox manager. Yeah, you got Alex who basically explained what's going, you know, what, what does he like about Carlos? And turns out him and, you know, he's very close to Carlos, and they were having conversations back and forth doing this whole thing. And, and, and Carlos was leaning on Alex, Alex Cora, you know, for information, just like Alex was leaning on Carlos when he got the Red Sox job. And, and nobody did a better job in the World Series than two years ago than Cora reading, reading the tea leaves of what the game was in front of him. And he, you know, he beat, he beat the automaton to the Dodgers, you know. And, and uh, so it's, I, I think uh, it's tough for managers, but you have to stand your ground more than ever. And Brody, Brody's a star guy, always has been a star guy. So if you step back, he's actually going to have a manager, actually, who probably, if everything works out well, in his, in his managing career and hangs in there, he'll have to leave one day uh, to go to the Hall of Fame in August. Right. After that, and, you know how many managers have done that. So uh, uh, it, it all fits. All these. I'm not surprised by any of this. I do think it was a sleeper in there, and Pat Murphy. I think he was. Uh, he had a chance. 
I think they really like Derek Shelton to a great degree. Um, probably he would have been their fallback if Beltron didn't 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 work out. Uh, so and Murphy was connected to Adam Gutridge. The uh, they would just spend time in in Milwaukee. The you know the Mets analytical guy. So he's an interesting character himself. So he would have been an interesting pick too. I I think it's a uh, I actually like what's going on in the managing world, and I love the fact that Joe Madden, who, you know, I'm pretty good friends with Joe as well, I love the fact that Joe's got the angel jobs, and maybe he can rescue Billy Epler from himself. It's interesting that you do like what's going on, because I I kind of do also, and and I can't believe I'm saying this, like, I can't even listen, strange, coming from a sports talk radio host, I can't listen to it anymore, because every day you hear about these people saying, well, you need an experienced manager, you need an experienced manager. But if you look, 10 teams made the postseason. Of the 10, eight of the managers were managing their first team that they got a job with, unless you include Dave Roberts' one game with San Diego, which I'm not. So eight managers had their first-time position with the teams they are in the playoffs with now. So how important is experience? Plus you factor in, I'll never forget this, One, I was out with Terry Collins one night and we were talking and I, I kind of went back and forth with him about something we had a run-in at a press conference years ago. And he told me, Mark, you have to understand, it's not like the old days anymore. I'm a right. middle manager. Th- those were his words. Yeah. And that's what yeah, baseball that, has become. I've been so that for years, yeah. right, right. So, so the point is, and and you made it perfectly about these analytics guys. So you have to have a huge cachet to go with your gut against everything your analytics department says, and pray that works out because that's going against your the hierarchy. And if it goes wrong, you're out of a job. So I, I get it. you said it exactly. You know, I get why they do it. Um, and all these teams now are pouring their money into the analytics department more than a manager. But I kind of do like the way we're, we're back in the day when I was like 20 and 30, it was just the same managers. They get fired from one job and somewhere else, but it would be the same 24 managers in Major League Baseball forever. Um, out of these eight new guys, what intrigues you about the new age of these managers that are stepping from either the broadcast booth or from the field directly into a job? I think there's a lot of guys who can do the job, and I do think I'm going to, I'm going to specifically one thing. I do think experience is very important, especially postseason experience, because that's where you really see the difference. And I think it happened to the Yankees again this year. Um, I think AJ Hinch outmanaged Aaron Boone, and 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 ironically in, in the playoffs in, in the World Series, AJ ran into Dave Martinez, who was allowed to do things because of Mike Rizzo, Rizzo and the scouting thing. And the scouting team at the, at the Nationals League, so he was allowed to go with Hot Hand and Kevin and Kevin Long, and the great job he did with a lot of the hitters and things like that. So, so I, I like, you know, I do like the fact that, and again, I've been around so long, you know, I, I, I've been going to managers' offices where I've been yelled at, screamed at, you know, I, I, I have to laugh now when some some things happen with the media now, and it becomes a cause, so, you know, an unbelievable cause, like so and so yelled at somebody. I got yelled at every day for about 10 straight years. I mean, come on. It's not me, somebody else in the press corps, or even, uh, you know, back in San Diego and stuff like that. And managers would always scream and yell at you. So now managers have to be, like you say, more middle managers. And Terry Collins, but Terry, see, Terry bridged that camp because he brought some, he brought some humanity to the, to the middle manager department, you know. He, he, he you know, he, he, he left it on his sleeve and, um, 
It's the, but the problem these guys have to have now is they got to think quicker. They got to think quicker, and they also have to, you know, like even with the, getting back to the the Yankees and you know Chapman there. Chapman didn't seem right coming in in that situation. Uh, I just felt bad about that. You could see the Yankees were going to blow that because they didn't get the extra run when when they tied yep. the game. So so they really have to think quick in the playoffs because it really goes fast. And they really have to see what's happening in front of them, and they have to, and they have to trust your players. Hubie Brown told me years ago, you know, the best, the former Knicks coach and Atlanta coach and a great broadcaster. Who, by the way, I told him you'd be a better broadcaster than a than a coach, Hubie. I think you should go into broadcasting way back when. <laughs> so, um, so, but Hubie told me, hey, he he went back to his high school days, and he goes, hey, when I get on the bus. If my players are better than their players on the other bus, I'm the better coach. And it's the same deal for the most part in the major leagues. If your players are better, you're the better. And if your players are hot at that time, but by better, I don't mean the bank of their baseball cards, their analytic card, what they've done in the past. I mean at that moment. These are the successful managers now, the guys who read what's going on right now at that moment. Because, sure, Howie Kendrick isn't better, you know, than somebody, than let's just say, um, you know, pick anybody, any star, you know, Bregman, out of the Houston lineup. But in these playoffs, he was hotter at that point. So, so they ran, they, 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 they went with the hot card, and, you know, and, and, and that, you know, the Will Harris change was a bad change. So it's misreading the situation. You can't get Derek Cole up and not use, use him. him. You can't dry hump him. Right. I mean, it was tough. So you see, so as much as we're talking about how we like this or that about the matches, we seen we saw some really bad managing in the playoffs. Right, we did. We just talked about that with, with our baseball beat reporter. Exactly, that's you. Know, you get call up. How do you not bring him in the game? You, you mentioned you, you mentioned the great. You know, I, well, one thing, Mark. I, I want to. I've done this with many managers in the past, and, and, and even with Mickey through the years. I said, hey, and I, I did it with Terry, and Terry agreed with me 100. I, I, I would I would call to keep it simple, stupid rule, <laughs> and I would say things like. So I'll use I'll use AJ Hinch for an example. Like AJ, we're in spring training. AJ, we're in spring training right now. If you get to a game that you got to win, elimination game, Eric Cole's been the best pitcher in baseball. You got him warmed up, ready to go. Are you going to bring him in? And that's you know, and that's it. Oh yeah, I'll bring him in. But then we get to that situation, then they they, they outthink themselves. They outthink themselves. They get too cute. Uh, they don't manage for them. When you manage in the playoffs, you have to manage minute by minute, second by second. That's all that matters. You can't think too far ahead. Jack McKeon, when he beat the Yankees, um, you know, in 2003 with the Marlins, uh, you know, don't forget what he did there. He did a great job of using his uh, rotation, getting guys going, locking it down, getting it over with, and, and getting that run. He would always get the extra run. And he told me years ago, he said, if I get two runs, they have to get three. If I get three runs, they have to get four. And that's how he looked at it in the postseason. And that's a great way to look at it. And, and too many of these guys are still thinking too far ahead. They were wheels are spinning. Just get through that inning. Then you figure out what your best options are for the very next inning. And that's how you win in the postseason. Absolutely. I mean, you can even go back to Buck Showalter with Zach Britton. I mean, there's so many times. Yeah, it it happens over (laughs) and over and over, and that's why I call it to keep, you know, the kiss rule. But I I had the spring training thing. Like, we're sitting relaxed at the manager's office. There's BSing. And he'll say, of course, Kevin, you think I'm an idiot? Of course (laughs) I'm going to bring in Kurt Cole. But Uh, we get to the situation, and they don't bring in Cole. Yeah. uh, 
And it's the same thing with Mickey. Like, you know, I'll go back to, and again, I don't know where it came from, but the game in Atlanta, which I thought was the killer game, and I wrote it at the time, when, when, when Max had, had uh, retired 14 straight, you know, and then he, 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 he went to the bullpen, and they lost that game. That became, you know, that became one of the many bullpen failures, but that one was a killer. And uh, you've got to go with the hot hand. And, and you know what? Sometimes even as a player, if you're reading the vibe, like the, then, it's, then there's always a secondary information you get, like, weeks later from one of their puppets in the media. They'll get them out. They'll get somebody to say, oh, you know, uh, Matt didn't really want to stay in there at that point. Well, you know what? Too bad if they don't want to stay in. You're the manager. You say, hey, you're rolling. You're my guy. Go get him. Right. You know, it's, uh, it's, um, it's too much like too much like regular society now, where everybody gets a trophy when it's a birthday. When it's a birthday time in, in second grade, everybody gets a birthday cake. No, no, it's not your birthday. It's not your cupcake. It's his cupcake. It's his birthday. But you know, it's his trophy. He earned the trophy. Right but now, we become the society, and you wonder why seventy percent of the millennials are back are backing socialism because they live they grow they live with it every second now. But the way things are done when you're growing up in in sports and life and in school and everything else, so. So managers, the, the buck, it goes back to Harry Truman. The buck stops here with managers, and the guys where they realize the buck stops here win the World Series. I totally agree with you. Now, it's interesting. The article you mentioned about Alex Cora, I loved it. Um, Alex Cora's take on Beltron, one of the things Alex said was, what Carlos brings is that he is able to recognize the temperature of the clubhouse. He'll do an outstanding mm-hmm. job with that, which is very important. And one of the assets that you hear everyone talk about, even in, in the book about Astroland, about the Astros, is how he creates a unified culture between the, the Spanish-speaking players and the, the, the players that speak English, which somehow seems to be a huge divide in clubhouses these days. Um, so with the Mets clubhouse, how important will that be with players such as Ioannis Cespedes, who does speak English but always has an interpreter, okay? Uh, Familia, Rosario, Edwin Diaz, and Robinson Cano. I've never really noticed a, a tremendous divide. Like back in the day when Carlos was a Met, you know, there was that issue with Billy Wagner back in the day. Obviously, Carlos has learned from that and, and, and changed and grown. Um, do you think there's a divide in that Met locker room right now? No, there's not a, not a, not a divide, but there could be a divide when Cespedes comes back, for sure. Because there's always, you know, Cespedes, it's got nothing to do with Spanish or Latin, Latino. Cespedes is on his own program. He's always been his own Cespedes program. And you got to get this guy where he doesn't become a divide guy in the clubhouse. And, uh, you, you know, even like letting him, and the Mets are guilty of this. They let him go back and do his own thing working out. Yeah. And all of a sudden he comes back with two broken ankles or whatever the heck it was. I mean, you know, it, it drives me insane just thinking about it. And, uh, uh, you know, it, there's got to be one set of rules. Beltram will bring that. Uh, guys will listen to him. And Beltran has learned some things, too, through the years. And, and, and I think... Uh, I think for the most part, being around the Met clubhouse, I thought it was a pretty good clubhouse. Yeah. It could have went south. And, um, you know, I've known Cano a long time. Cano is Cano. He's going to go, you know, he's going to do his own thing sometimes. But he was, he was really trying hard to be a team leader here, especially when he was hurt. He spent all that time pumping those guys up. I, was, I used to kid with him. I said, it's kind of like you're managing the team now, you know, because he's doing all the things that you would expect Mickey to be doing at some point, you know. And um, so... I don't think that's a major problem. I don't think it was a problem at all, to be honest, in the, in the best clubhouse. But 
clubhouse is a candidate divided for lots of reasons, and it doesn't even have to be, you know, it doesn't have to be by culture or nationality. It could be pitchers just not happy with the, the hitters and, and things like that. The Mets, I think the one, the other mistake that Nicky made that he learned from is that he didn't spend enough time in the clubhouse to get the, yeah. the temperature of the clubhouse. And, you, you know, he, he kind of looked, and, and I, I get where he's coming from. He looked at it like that was their, their, Domain. He didn't want to. He didn't want to interfere on it, and that's cool. But that's see, that's a pitching coach's mentality. What does a pitching coach have to worry about? He's got to worry about 12, 13, 14, 15 guys. You know, he doesn't take everybody into account. So Mickey still had that pitching coach mentality. Where he didn't, you know, kind of. And he tried. If you remember, remember a couple of, uh, uh, two years ago, he tried that fishing thing, you know, and uh, spring training and. I forget exactly what happened because there's always some kind of incident with anything you mess do. But, um, you know, somehow that blew up in his face a little bit, you know. And, and you know, so, so I, when you get a – if, if Cespedes is actually coming back this year, he, somebody's going to have to stand Cespedes and make sure he's going with the program, the, Met, the Mets program and not the Cespedes program. And Beltran can do that. Um I think it's going to be very important too. Another factor which I want to bring in that he's going to help. He's going to help these hitters tremendously. Uh, Alex really uh, talked about that a little bit, and we had a longer conversation about that that I didn't get into in the story. But um, you know, there's nobody better at, at picking up pitches, tipping than, than Carlos Beltran. He's he's one of the best in the game at it. Uh, you know, 2017, the Astros won the World Series. Beltran, even though he wasn't. At the, you know, he was at the end of his career. Had a lot to do with that because he had the, he had the guys right mentally in the box, knowing what they were looking for. And he, just think of if he gets if he can help Alonzo with that, Seth McNeil with that, and some of these other J.G. Davis with that. Um, you know, and, and, and you know, and work Cano. I'm sure him and Cano will, will have a great if, as long as Cano's hands are healthy. Not as a problem with Cano last year. He got hit with a few pitches. His hands were a mess. But uh, once his hands got healthy, he started hitting. But I, I think he's going to help the hitting tremendously. I think uh, I think he'd be a, the, the Mets will have, um, you know, between him and Chili Davis. I think the situational hitting will be better. Um, and if that team scores a few more runs, all of a sudden the pressure isn't on to Edwin Diaz as much and and and, and the setup guys. Another thing that's got to be settled too is is uh, you know you got to get that bullpen straight. Who's your closer? <laughs> Can't goof around with a closer. Can't pitch back to back. That can't happen. You know, it can't happen this day and age. You know, you got to have a horse. So, so there's a lot of little issues that he's going to have to clean up, and it'll be very interesting uh, to see how he does it. Because I said it from day one, the Mets weren't that far away. That's why I wanted to keep this pitching staff together. This rotation, their rotation, basically the Nationals' rotation with the Mets' rotation could have done. They didn't. The Mets didn't do it, though. That's it. So there's a big difference in could have and right. getting it done. And then all of a sudden the hitters started clicking. Boom. They, and they got right there. And, of course, the Mets helped them along that way because I was at the game where they scored uh, you know, seven runs in the ninth inning yeah. to beat the Mets. That was another game that made the Nationals who they are champions in, in a lot of ways mentally. So so all those baseball things, that's, that's, you know, that's where he's going to help. Not, not not necessarily culturally, but he's going to help in baseball. You make it, you make your players better at baseball, you win more games. In Astroland, the book, they also mentioned that he also helped the pitchers that were tipping their pitchers because he is a student of the game. Sure, um, sure. You don't think he can help the Syndergaard? I bet you he'll be all over Syndergaard. Some of the things that Syndergaard does, for sure. And, uh, and also, 
he's kind of like a Degrom, whereas Degrom reads swings. That's another that's another lost art in baseball now. Pitchers don't know how to read swings anymore. Now Zach Greinke knew how to read swings. See, that's why he had the uh, National League out of his hand. But you know, again, huge mistake taking Greinke out at that point. Panic move, and couldn't wait because of the the analytic guys said, you know, if we get five of them, we'll be happy. You know, they got way more than five, and they should have left them in there. And the Nationals were thrilled once he came out. So, so he's going to help the pitchers, and he's going to help the hitters. And and then then you add on it, you know, then all of a sudden if they're playing a little bit of defense, they're running the bases better because the Mets were horrendous at running the bases last year as well. Um, you know, it's, there's so many things. The defense, that's still the thing that scares the heck out of me with the Mets. The, the ownership, not ownership, management, and I had a long talk with Brody about this uh, midway through the season, about how I told him, I said, you've got to value defense more, especially when you're pitching. You've got to value defense. You can't just put a first baseman in left field and hope, <laughs> hope that, you know, he's not going to. First of all, I said he's going to get hurt. Second of all, he's going to cost you a game within a week, Don Smith. And Don tried his, and what happened? A week later, that exact thing happened. So, uh, the fly ball, uh, San Francisco, those tough losses. So, so there's a lot going on here. But I think Beltron, because like like uh, Alice Porter says, we grow up with baseball. We're taught right in Little League down in the, in Puerto Rico. We're taught right in Connie Mack, uh, all the way through all the leagues. We respect the game. We love the game. That's the key to it. We love the game. Beltron loves the game. I've had many conversations with him through the years. Uh, lucky enough that he was, you know, I saw him with the Mets and I saw him with the Yankees. I remember one day we sat at his locker at, at Yankee Stadium. Uh, you know, talking for an hour about Roberto Clemente and about you know him him visiting the Clemente house because I, I you know I was a big Roberto Clemente fan. So so his respect for the the history of the game will carry through as well. And maybe he will you know lean on the things that Mets fans always want. Like why doesn't Keith Hernandez talk a little bit more to somebody of you know how to play first base or do this or that? Maybe he'll lean on some of the more the uh, the history of the Mets. To get certain things that can uh, help out these these players today as well. So he's a big, you know, cares about the history game. So I think it's a it's a pretty good move. With, but you never know. It's like also, of course, that it's an unknown with every first year guy. Right. The one thing that scares me with superstar players is things came easy to them because they're superstar players in some ways. And and Beltran had an unbelievable swing. And like Alex Cora told me, when they had the tryouts with 100 guys on the field in 1995. Who stood out above everybody else? Carlos Beltran. Right. So, 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 you know, can he, can he, can he, can he teach and have the patience if things don't come as quickly to some of the players as it did to him? And also, and here, here's the X factor. I think it'll be fine. But when you have the dopey media coming in after games, <laughs> asking dopey questions, uh, you know, maybe some good ones mixed in there as well. But is he going to blow up? You know, like when Mickey lost it in Chicago, you know, right. when he just snapped. Right. You know, he, he, so all those are X factors. We'll have to see how they work out. It's funny you mentioned about the great players being managers. Rick and I were talking beforehand. I mean, I think there's been 68 guys that are in the Hall of Fame that also managed, you know, in the Hall of Fame as players, also managed. You know, the one that comes to mind is Ted Williams. Ted Williams just, first of all, you know, hated pitchers and thought they were the dumbest people on earth. Right. And, you right. know, would think that everyone could go up there and hit 300. So that was an issue with him. Um, so it is. But I think, you know, from what everything I've read with, with the guys from the Astros, you know, even going back to his Mets days with Angel Pagan, 
you know, he was about, you know, Angel Pagan was a guy trying to take Carlos's job, and, and Carlos would be out there in the outfield teaching Angel, you know, angles to take on the balls and everything. So I think he will be a, a decent teacher. Before we let you go, there's one thing, and I'm not sure what what I make of it. Obviously, you know, we're in a Twitter world, and maybe one person puts it out there, and it, it starts a life of its own. But there's been uh, rumors out there that his bench coach could be right. Terry Collins. Um, you know, Terry is a wealth of knowledge. Terry knows the game as well as anybody. But I kind of almost think that is that's a dysfunctional move to bring a guy in. I, I don't know. I, I'm, I'm torn with it. What's your feeling about bringing a guy like Terry Collins in as his bench coach? Well, I'd have to see who else the other candidates are and line them up. But my initial reaction is it's never good to bring a guy who is manager yeah. back as a bench coach in the same organization. I just don't, I just don't get it. I don't, I don't think it works. That's yeah. just me. Now, Terry, I think, is in a great position right now where uh, he can be around. I would love to see Terry around more, and I would love to see Terry like, do more about because he's a great evaluator of young players and, and stuff, too. And I would love to see him being maybe a sounding board for Carlos. But to be in the dugout this day and age with the bench coach, because the bench coach has got to be a conduit with the analytical guys about what's going on. You know, it can't, you, can't just have, you can't just have a quality control coach like they did last year and expect some of that information to get filtered through. To me, the bench coach has to be the extension of, of the GM, but also a guy that is going to give that manager good advice that makes them think and and gives them some options and not just be not just be you know uh, a parrot for upstairs and not just be the guy that's anti upstairs and just going by his gut. So it's, it's a very it's a delicate position. Um, uh, and I also think bench coaches are overrated if a manager knows what he's doing. You know, I think that's 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 that to me that's that's that's. Like, we make everything so hard in baseball now. Right. You know what? I, I agree with you. It, Unless you're Don Zimmer. Hard. I mean, how many guys other than Don Zimmer do we know as bench coaches? <laughs> that, that says yeah, it all. Exactly. And Zimmer was like, you know, he'd be sitting in the corner, maybe he'd say something every three days. You know, that was <laughs> at Torrey. Torrey would make it into a big deal. But, you know, that's still Joe Torrey running the show there. Billy Martin running the show there. Davey Johnson running the show. Right. And Terry running the show. I mean, uh, you know, I think the bench coach is the most overrated position, but you can't have a bench coach that creates any kind of distraction now. And I think Carlos needs less distractions right now, not more distractions. And I could be totally wrong. I mean, if, if they announce tomorrow that Terry's the bench coach and the, the Mets do have a way of bringing people back sometimes, you know. Um, um, but it's got to be – it was very interesting. Puma wrote something about, you know, Bobby Valentine saying um, – you know, the, the GM gets the manager, the manager gets to pick the bench coach. I, I don't agree with that. I think, I, think, uh, I think this day and age, the bench coach has to be a mutually agreed upon position and has to be a sharp guy that doesn't get in the way. Totally That's agree. Cool. All right, Kevin, appreciate it. Always love talking baseball. You're still in Florida, right? You're not going to be there tomorrow? No, I got an early morning flight, so I'll probably be there. Oh, all right. I don't then know I, yet. I'll that, uh, if I'll everything s- goes well, my community will be there. I'll see you tomorrow. Thanks, Kev. Take care. You got it. Kevin Kernan of the New York Post.